evangelists passing through from one city and village to another, teaching, proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you'll begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, some are first who will be last. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Very sobering message that Jesus gave. It's recorded here for us to read and to understand. Powerful is the Word of God. We don't choose it. You're the one who wrote it. You're the one who put it together. We are here to read it, to seek understanding, to bring glory to You, and to help our lives be changed by the Spirit who lives in us. Thank You for this day that we have to honor and glorify You together. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Well, we uh, ask the question, are there just a few who are being saved? Most of us have probably wondered at that thought. Probably have made that question before or have heard it. Billions of pagans in the world. Very few who are believers in Jesus Christ. Staggering. There's just a few committed Christians, aren't there? Just a few. Jesus is the most fascinating person that's ever lived on the face of this earth. To ever be seen, to ever be heard. Demonstrated the power of Almighty God. And we see that He attracted masses of people, throngs of thousands of people. Early in this ministry, it's pretty exciting. still is exciting all the way through. But it's interesting how many people, as we near the end of His ministry, how many people really have now grown to hate Him? I mean hate in the way that they would like to kill Him. And it's in their plans. Matter of fact, they said that He is satanic. The works that He did, the miracles that He did came from the power of Satan, if you remember. So, that's the religious leaders but there is the populace, the ordinary people. Of course, they make up the biggest part of the crowd. To some level, they have an interest. You would think they would all be believing in Christ and they'd all be believers, wouldn't you? 
multitudes, the thousands. He would think there would be at least thousands that were being saved at this time. And the thing is, is that a lot of the people, and let's be honest, most of the people were indifferent to the message that Christ had. The message of the kingdom of God, which includes repentance, faith in Him. Many people left. Many of those people were disciples, followers. They were indifferent to the message. As a matter of fact, they even became hostile. Even in his hometown, we already know early in his ministry right there that they wanted to kill him. It's becoming, I think, increasingly clear at this time, in this third year of his ministry, that the nation is not going to receive him. It seems like all these crowds, you, you would think everybody is a believer. Well, they're believing in Him that He can do great things. They cannot deny that, even though religious leaders could not deny that, could they? It's attributed it to Satan, but the, the world was made by Him. But the world as a whole does not know Him. He made it, but they don't know the one who made it. There's only a remnant. There's always been a remnant. Go all the way back to the flood. Eight people. The rest of them, thousands, killed in that flood. Just eight people. Are you kidding me? Just a few. So when you think about that, uh, you go, well, there's thousands following him. You know, well, the problem is, is that he's the great Messiah. If he's the great Messiah, he's going to deliver us from the Roman government that is over us. That's what they're thinking. Only thing is, by now, three years of this, there's no glory. There's no glory in this. There's not any real splendor happening as far as a kingdom is concerned. It's, it's not happening. He's talking about going to Jerusalem. So, we know the leaders are plotting his death. And at this time, somebody asked him, Lord, are there just a few who's being saved? Are there just a few? Why would they say that? Because they realize most people are spurning his message. There are very few people that love Jesus. They want his miracles. They want what he can do for them. But they don't want his message. They don't want his kingdom. They want the kingdom that they expect to have right here on earth, right here in the here and now. They knew what his message was message of the kingdom is really salvation. Which means they need to be saved from something. What is that? Not saved from the Romans. Not saved from the government. Saved from their sins. Death. Hell. Kingdom of spirit. Sphere of salvation. He's offering that, folks. And most of the people hate what he's saying. Remember, his own Received him not. I have to literally 
take that as it is because 70 AD, 40 years later, God destroyed the temple, Jerusalem. The nation of Israel was never the same. So he showed that they missed him and he had to judge that nation. There still is hope for them according to Romans 9, 10, and 11, however. We'll get into that. But why did Jesus come here? To seek and save the lost. Disciples know that. They've heard this message over and over and over and over and over. He came to save the lost. Who are the lost? Most of the people are lost, right? They're sinners. They need salvation. They refused Him. They would not admit their sin. They would not confess Jesus as Lord. They were self-righteous. They didn't need Christ's righteousness. That's basically what happened in John 6 where there were many disciples following Him and He said, you have to partake of Me. Like eating the bread that He fed them the day before, the next day, He says, here's what this means. You must partake of Me. I am your bread. I am your life. What happened when He said that? Man, by the dozens, people who had been following Him for who knows how long, they took off. They left. They departed. Because they knew what He was saying. They didn't believe that uh, there was cannibalism here. What they believed was right. That He's saying He is life. He is the bread. They have to partake or eat of Him. They don't like that. They leave. They don't want to deny themselves. That's one of the basic tenets, message of the Gospel. Jesus has said, deny yourself, take up the cross, follow Me. Is that how you win a crowd? Deny yourself? What happened? What happened to this, you know, make yourself feel good, right? That's the way it's always been in this world, and it sure is that way today. If it doesn't feel good to you, then, you know, do what you know what feels good to you. They wouldn't confess Him as Lord. This crowd that's been out there, they're so fickle. What an amazing man this is. But they won't confess Him as Lord, as King, as God here on earth. Crowds are massive. They're anticipating the messianic ministry and now it's fading. I mean, it's pretty well gone. Even the twelve apostles are wondering what, what's going on. I thought this was... And we see that people hate Him. In those crowds. It doesn't have to say that I know of, but... I have to wonder if some people were booing out there whenever he would speak things that were difficult statements. We have difficult statements made here today. Listen, I as a regular human being would not pick these texts for us to study and talk about. As we go through Luke, the more and more I see Jesus approach his opportunity to preach the Word of God, he's just saying truth, and it does hit hard. Most people aren't going to like it. 
I don't choose things that people don't like. <coughs> but the thing is, we have to do this because this is the text we're in. And if you noticed, every week it just gets a little bit harsher in his statements. That's the way it is. I don't apologize. I'm not. I'm just saying my tendency would be everything that is happy and joyous. I love to think of positive things. And we could talk about heaven and glory and go on for years and years with that. You know that? But we have to give the whole counsel of God. And I am privileged to do that today. And you're privileged to be here to read God's Word and see what He's saying about the real truth. Why only a few? So we approach this text. We look in verse 22. It's passing through from one city and village to another. What's He doing? Teaching. Proceeding on His way to Jerusalem. This sounds like other verses that we've read, isn't it? It sounds like a repeat. Cities, villages, everywhere he goes, and everywhere he goes, what, what's happening? Crowds are gathering. So he's passing through city and village, one to the next. We don't know where he's at at the time. Doesn't matter. I tend to think that he's probably in Perea on the other side, Jordan, making his way to Jerusalem. Maybe going to some of the places where the 70 had been sent out. Following up with that. Don't know. I'm just thinking. First point is that salvation means exertion. To exert effort. So it's passing through. And we have to say He is what He's teaching. Sometimes it's just teaching, preaching, proclaiming, uh, healing, right? Teaching is the very heart of His ministry. Teaching of the Word has to be done. That's why the church exists. We're here to teach, to make disciples, to make learners, right? That's our purpose. As we become believers, to make more disciples... So they follow Christ. Most of the people that you tell this to and you give them the real truth, they don't want to be a part of it. Have you noticed that? Have you gotten turned down quite a bit when you offer the Gospel to your loved ones? Well, this is what He does. He teaches, He teaches, He teaches. Back in chapter 9, verse 51, way back four chapters ago, says, When the days were approaching for His ascension. This is way ahead yet. That's talking about ascending. Uh, Going up to Jerusalem. Could be even ascending right on into heaven. As He goes to Jerusalem, we know that it's the cross. So He was determined to go to Jerusalem. If Jesus is determined, is He going to make it there? Absolutely. Absolutely. No floods are going to stop him. No tornadoes are going to stop him. He's just going to go. You know, he set his face like Flint, and that's exactly what he's doing in perfect time. Exactly the way the plan has been made. So, that's what's happening. 
He has not forgotten about Jerusalem. We've not really been uh, seeing that in the Scriptures where it's saying every few verses He's on His way to Jerusalem. But this verse is stuck here to remind us of His agenda. If He goes to Jerusalem, where is He really going? To the cross. He knows what that's about. Uh, Then the question comes, Lord, are there just a few are being saved? Does it make sense that somebody's asking this? First you're going, well, he's got thousands of people. This person has seen it. A lot of people that have not received Christ. Matter of fact, most haven't, even though they've been following him. Is, Is this true? Good question. But actually, to Jesus, he's not going to answer it because they're expecting him to say, that's right, few there be that find it, right? But he doesn't answer that way in this particular time. You know, how many times have people ask you, well, yeah, but what about that one person on that island that's never heard the gospel? How about those people in Africa that have never heard about it? You guys have heard that all your lives, haven't you? You know, that's not really the question at all. I mean, Romans 1 answers that. The question is this, back to the man. Are you one of those few? Matter of fact, you better make sure that you are one of the few that are going to be saved. Don't be worried about that man in Africa. A whole nation in Africa or whatever. Don't even be worrying about that. Be praying about it. But it's really talking about yourself. You better examine yourself. You know, sometimes we hear messages and we say, Oh, I hope that person's really hearing this. You know, (laughs) it's not for me, it's for them. We can't say that. Every message here is for us. Don't worry about the other person. It's for us. Lord, are there just a few that are being saved? Jesus answers, make certain that you're one of those few. So remember the context. Verse 22, He's on the way to Jerusalem. This has direct bearing on understanding the rest of the text, and that's why I spend so much time sometimes on a first or second verse in a text because it sets up the rest of it which we can just kind of flow through. That's the way it usually works out. I don't always mean it that way, but that's the way it is. But if we have this, it will really help us. There's a cross with His name on it. He's going to death. Instead of there being new converts, there's going to be a cross. It's context. Are there many that are being saved? Jesus continues upon this road. It seems like there's less and less people that are being saved. Lots of people. But if He continues this path, is there going to be anybody else saved? So, Jesus gives an answer here. You notice He usually answers with a question or gives it in a way that you're not expecting as he gives an answer. He says, strive. It's a command here, actually. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
Well, it reminds me of that famous verse that everybody knows. Many are called, few are chosen. And you're really getting into the election party or two. Written before the foundation of the world, yet at the same time we have Christ making the call to all people. He knows who's going to be saved. Father knows. Father gives the ones who are going to be saved to the Son. All the ones who have been chosen for the foundation will be saved. Guarantees that. Otherwise, none would be saved if He wouldn't have chosen beforehand. What a privilege it is. But at the same time, there's a responsibility for people to answer the call talks about He's calling everyone everywhere to what? To repent. <coughs> to repent. That's the message. That's what is to be gotten out. So He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Pay attention to this. The question is, really shouldn't be, uh, are a lot of people being saved? So what's going on? Well, Am I being saved? Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow gate. Now, this goes up against the verses that would be like, we're saved by grace, not by works. Does this contradict that? No, it doesn't. This is a mark of one who is saved by grace. He will enter and strive to enter that narrow door that's not wide and not easy. That is the thought that we're getting to here. Jesus is not interested in speculation here. He's concerned about personal salvation of the people that are hearing Him. He does have compassion. He has so much compassion and love for them that He does not withhold the truth even though it may sound very harsh. Strive to enter the narrow door. Now that word strive, it's an interesting word. We've used it many times. Paul uses it a lot. Luke uses it here. The word is a Greek word, agonizomai. The word comes from our English word, agony. Agony. Agone is the Greek. English is agony. 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 Boy, this sounds like a work salvation thing. Strive. Agonize. Fight. Battle. That's a thought. It takes you to the athletic games. It's really a word that's used often in athletic contests or in that context, or in war. Obviously, it means a great deal of effort. Effort. It's not just let go and let God. It's seeking, striving to enter by this narrow way. You know, you never see an athlete in, let's say, the Olympics who wins a gold medal Someone starts to interview him and says, how did you do this? We said, actually, you know, up until a couple of weeks ago, I never ran. I never did exercises or anything. And so I just did it, really. I 
just ran and I won that thing. Now, that would be ridiculous because that doesn't happen. The Olympic athlete who wins gold medals has spent much of his life training for this one moment to win the gold medal. To even get there, he had to strive. To win it against the best in the world, he's got to strive to get there. So it took a lot of discipline. He took great energy and effort to do what he did, didn't he? It's not an accident if he wins. He had to really strive to get to that point. It's deliberate. He sets out. It's not accident. It just doesn't happen. He is deliberate and it's a continued effort the idea. Not everyone receives the prize, do they? Only few are winners. The idea is abandon yourself. Strive. Abandon yourself. What is our problem? Sin or self? That's what our self is. It's a constant center. That's our nature. We are to abandon that self. You came to Christ, you had to abandon yourself, to deny yourself, right? Forget yourself. It's not about you anymore. (laughs) I was watching the Cardinals this week. Albert Pujols, for the first time in seven years, came back to St. Louis to play against his former teammates. Of course, you probably saw it every time that he came up to bat, they cheered him. He ran off the field, they cheered him. Give a pinch runner, you know, they cheer him. And that's that's really, it's really cool, you know, in a way. I kind of enjoyed that. St. Louis fans just went crazy, and they were St. Louis fans like you would expect. The best in the world, you know, very, very intelligent. You know, I mean, they really are to, to allow, that nobody has ever had that kind of, uh, Situation where they came back. They usually boo him, you know. But they cheered him, standing ovation. And then he had a home run and it went crazy yesterday. Because the Cardinals were ahead at the time. The fans are really good, you know. Okay, I, I say this, I plug St. Louis. I don't know if you guys are Cardinal fans. You probably are if you live around that area. How can you not be, right? <laughs> Get to the point, Dennis. Enough of the stories. Well... They asked Albert Pujols, and they said, "You know, what, what do you think of all of this? You know, and the, you know, and he's, you know, he's very, very humble. Albert and his family, are a Christian family, and I think he was probably somewhat embarrassed in a way. You know, just standing out on the field, he just wanted let's get this thing going. But you know, it was like, hey, this is all about you, Albert. And Albert goes." And then they said, you know, it's like bigger than the game itself. And he, you know, he shook his head. He said, no, it's, I'm not bigger than the game. He says, it's not about me. It's not about me at all. Well, I know what he's thinking. This is all about the Lord. Because he knows where he gets his talent, his abilities, his strength. Everything that he's done throughout his career, he knows that it's through Christ and I'm sure somewhere on the line he will probably get that out in some way. But the thing is, see, that everything is not about us. As a matter of fact, nothing is about us, really, is it? Even if we've done some great things, it's still about 
Christ. It's all about Him. It's not about me. The whole purpose of living in every avenue that we live in is to bring glory to God. So, abandon the self. Self-denial. It's not about me. It's about God and repentance is at the top of the line here. That repentance is abandoning self. It's self-denial. It's saying that, Lord, you know, I have sinned against You. I turn from that sin to You by Your power. You know what? This is about, as we enter this striving, it means to fight for salvation. To fight for it. To fight for it. Wait a minute, that sounds kind of strange. It sounds like works again. Well, you know, James sounds like he's against Paul. You know, it's you're saved by your works, but yet, I mean, the works show who you are. When it's all said and done, those works are going to show up who's a Christian and who's not. Because there are a lot of people filling the pews today, this Sunday morning, who are not saved. And they've been at church all their lives. It's a narrow door. The fact that the door is narrow implies that there is a deliberate thought about going through that. It's a deliberate effort to go through. You ever gone through a very narrow door? You hit that, and then you can start getting stuck. <laughs> you know, what? I wonder if I'm going to get out of here, right? Somebody give me a hand. We're talking a narrow door. You're going to have to strive to get through here. You know, that's really exclusive. Because the world today wants an inclusive religion. All religions are on the right road. That would be contradicting to each one of those religions. Because why are they who they are? Muslims would say that they're the only way. Do you think they would accept Christianity? Think any other religion accepts Christianity? No. Because they don't trust Jesus Christ. Christ made a claim that nobody else ever did in any other religion. None of them made the claim that they were God or that they would resurrect from the dead because you say something like that, then your whole religion is shut down the very moment that you die and you don't resurrect. But Christ made that statement. We have biblical writings and other writings. Those really don't really matter. The Word does though, but people testify of that resurrection. Well, he's very narrow. He's very exclusive. Let's look at Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Some of those hard statements. Probably familiar with all of these. Not anything new, is it? Enter through the narrow gate. This time it's a gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. 
Many are not being saved. We've already seen that here in Matthew. Many enter the wide, easy way. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. That's rather staggering. That really hits, doesn't it? There are few who find it. It's really narrow. You know, that's what Jesus is saying is that it's exclusive. This is not inclusive. All the other religions and all the other ways are wrong. Hard to say that about a lot of other things, but Christianity, any Christian, so-called Christian that would say, yeah, and there are other ways, I would say is not a Christian because they are saying Jesus is a liar. Face value. Of course, our John 14, 6, you know, I am the way, right? The truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Now that's bold. That is really bold. Nobody makes those kind of statements. That's arrogant that the world would think of. That he would actually say that. Look in John 10, verse 9. He's talking about the sheep. I am the door, the narrow door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. See, there's the invitation. I'm the door, but you have to go through me. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find a pasture. Sheep are taken care of. The John 14, 6, which I just quoted, is another statement. John, his whole idea is to prove the deity of Christ. Christ is God. All the way through the book of John. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Is that narrow? Nothing else. Don't ever let anybody ever tell you that they have the right way. Any of the cults, any of the other religions, if it's not Christ, Christ alone, and His resurrection, and all that goes with that Gospel, then it's false. And Jesus claims it that way. If He did not resurrect, then all these statements that He's making would be no value. They would be no and void. And What are we doing sitting here acting like we're worshiping God? Right? We'd be wasting our time. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. So there is a one great big door that's easy to find. Yeah, but he's going to accept everyone that just gives their best. Have you heard that one? How about all the sincere people? They haven't heard about all this stuff that we know, but they're sincere and they're sincerely wrong. Yes, we can say that there is a right and wrong. We're even being told in the world today that you can't ever say that there's right and wrong. Whatever's right for you, is, you know, may be uh, wrong for another person, but they have a different way and it's right. So we're all right. Everything's good and everything's going to be just great, right? So I believe that all roads lead to God and all good people will go to heaven. Human speculation. 
call God a liar, they're not submitting to the very revelation that God has given. You know, we need all this. But it's really simple. You know, saying something that I've repeated over and over, there's nothing that I can put out of here that would really be new. I want it to be fresh, but, you know, the idea here, what's this for us? You need to take great pains in being sure that you enter the narrow door. Make sure that you are entering in that way. You picture that Olympic athlete again. He has his focus on the gold medal. That's why he does what he does for a gold medal. It means he's the winner. He's the best. So he's controlled by the winning of the goal. He will do everything it takes to get that gold. He will eat vegetables and all that kind of stuff that, you know, is healthy. He will be on a health food kick because he doesn't want to gain excess weight or fat. He doesn't stay up late at night. He doesn't go to parties and party down and drink, get drunk. He doesn't do other things that would be maybe an accident uh, or a cause that maybe he could break a bone or you know stretch a muscle out or strain it. So it governs his thinking every day. That's why in Romans 12 it says to what? To renew your mind. Renew your mind daily. To have your mind changed and have your thoughts focused upon Christ. Everything you should do should be based on that kind of thinking. It should determine how you spend your time. It should determine how you spend your money, how you spend your leisure time, your leisure hours. You must strive to enter. Everything that you do is for the glory of God. And it's always there. You know, it's, it doesn't like, okay, this is Monday through Saturday, and now I can do everything that I want. Yeah, that's true in something that will honor Christ. If it will honor Christ, do it. Man, enjoy it. Have fun. Go out and enjoy the creation. There's a lot of things out there to see and experience in there. That's great. It's for the glory of God, right? God, You gave us this. Jesus says many will seek to enter and will not be able. Did you notice that? There in in Luke, they will seek to enter. It sounds like they really want to be saved. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That's what's happening with those Jewish people that are around on the, you know, they, they want the kingdom and defined in their way. They're seeking that out. They're following Jesus, which is going to be their messianic leader. What's the problem? They're not striving to seek this, this truth. They are seeking to enter, but in their own way. They're not striving to enter. Some are going to wake up. 
to the serious issues involved in their own salvation to find out it's what? Too late. Wow. They had assumed that all was well. I was born in this Judaism and I live in the right country. I go to synagogue. I go to church. Right? I've grown up this way. This is the way it's always been. I know I'm going to heaven. Well, we can know that we are going to heaven. So I don't want to take that away. But I also say is that we are to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. If there are things in our life that does not line up, and there's great sin there, and of course we still battle with sin, but there's sin that is such a mess that nobody can tell whether you're a Christian or not, and you don't even know. Then today is a day of your salvation. Don't wait, because it could be too late tomorrow. They knew that who Jesus was in a casual way. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah. Now follow him every day. Well, have you repented of your sins? Have you abandoned yourself? Or do you like to live a life for your own self? Jesus says that there are many, and he's talking about the religious crowd there, it's the Jewish people. And I think he could do the same thing if he came into the churches today, on a Sunday morning, that there would be many that have not entered through the narrow door. If you follow them, the people that are going through the wide way and not the narrow way, then you'll be shut out and that door will slam shut. That moves us to the next one, number two. Once the head of the house gets up, shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then He will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Whoa. I mean, Jesus. You're really putting some fear into these people's hearts. Yeah, they need it. Because they think everything's okay. They're going right along with everything else that other people are doing. They do their synagogue stuff and they they say the Shema every day. Jesus is saying, you need to strive to enter the narrow gate, the narrow door, because you are not saved. That's the idea with this, even this questioner here. The door will be shut. The day is coming when the head of the house will shut the door. He'll get up shut the door. It's like at night time when it's time to make sure the doors are shut and they're locked. Nobody can get in. That is the thought there as he gives them a picture. And of course, the first thing you think of is that's the final judgment. Judgment seat of God, right? But each person's eternal destiny is fixed even before the day of judgment. Hebrews 9.27 It's always good to remember. It's especially good for people who believe in reincarnation. You die and then you go to be somebody else. 
Hebrews 9.27 says, And as inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, all people die except for the few who will be around when Christ comes back and we just get raptured, right? Turn into glorious bodies. But really, we see this principle. It's always been this way. All people die. You die once. Not a continual dying over and over and over again. And after this comes judgment. That's the thought here. Even the youngest and the healthiest among us, their lives hang by a thread. The ones who are unhealthy are old and 99 years old. Next heartbeat could be it. The fact of the matter is, a one-day-old, a one-year-old, a ten-year-old, a twenty-year-old, thirty-year-old, forty, all the way on up, their life is hanging by a thread. Do not procrastinate about the matter of salvation. Go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Just before the flood. I'm glad we have a rainbow. Rainbow is a promise to us every time we see it that He will never flood the earth again. You notice I did say the earth, the whole earth. Yes, a worldwide flood, which absolutely happened. If we doubt that, folks, if we doubt that right there, then you can doubt anything else in the Bible. Because once you take that foundation out, then anything else goes. And you can say, well, I don't believe this, but I believe this. I don't believe that. You can, you can start, and that's what happens. It's what happens even in the best of seminaries when they start coming in and messing with you know, the flood or, or you know, uh, the, the creation and the way that it's presented in Scripture. And they start turning that around, start tweaking it. Then the Word of God has been attacked. And it's attacked by, we know by liberal Christians, but even well-meaning, well-taught, reformed theology people have taken on the fact there really is not a six-day creation. And then they have a little trouble with the flood and they start going in, well, science says this. Oh boy, that's that's a slippery slope. And I'm telling you, it goes like this. Just like that. The rest of the Word doesn't really matter once we have taken that thought. Now here it is in Genesis 6. Uh, did I say verse 3? Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. And then I'm going to shut the door. Shut the door of the ark. The eight people were in there. The rest of the people, thousands and thousands and thousands, who knows, hundreds of thousands, million, millions, they were all killed. That was it. God didn't save them. I will not strive with man forever. You know, he could have ended that right there and just took everybody out and said, I'm finished with mankind. Could have done that, couldn't he? Because God is absolutely sovereign in every way. Look in Luke 12, verses 18 through 20. Remember this one? 
just a chapter back, you know, the guy that built the barns, and he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It's the way people live life. Not even thinking about really eternal life. But God said to him, you Fool, this very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you have prepared. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, again, you never know when that night, that day could be. Luke twelve fifty eight. For while you're going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. And that's a picture really of hell and judgment there. He says, do it now. Settle your account. If you can negotiate before you go into court because you are a dead man. If you go in there, you're 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 in you're imprisoned here. It's your sentence. So urgent attention when he says the door's gonna be shut. Messiah is in their very midst. And there he is. He said, All for you that reject me, you have a unique opportunity right now. The very teaching of the Word of God was being taught by God Himself amongst them. They had a window of opportunity. The window had gotten to this. There wasn't much time left. But they just kept on going. Just like that guy who builds the barns. We must enter on God's terms and in God's time. At the judgment, everybody's going to know the truth. They're going to realize what a horrible mistake that they made. It'll be too late. J.C. Ryle puts it this way, Hell is nothing but truth known too late. When they realize that this really was truth. The only thing is, you know what? In the back of their minds, they know God exists. Look at Hebrews 12, 17. talking about Esau here. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, afterwards, when he desired the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance. Though he sought for it with tears. He sought for it. Remember those people are seeking to enter? Esau sought for it with tears. It was... Too late. The door was shut. You know what? We'll never know when that day is. As far as we as believers who desire unbelievers to come to Christ, we don't know if that door has been shut. We can never make that decision. We can say, well, they're lost forever. They'll never make it. You can't ever say that because we don't know when God could change their minds to to have them repent and become saved and believe. So, but to God... He knows exactly when they're going to die. 
He's already appointed that time when they were going to be born, when they were going to die. He even appointed the fact that they would be saved. If they weren't saved, it showed that they really are not part of His plan. But you say, well, how does what, what difference does that make to them then if they know if they don't know that they're they are called, and their responsibility is to repent. And if they repent and believe in God's timing, they will be saved. But those are the people who were chosen. Does that? Can you wrap your brain around that? No, <laughs> but it's true. They don't contradict. They're good friends, as Spurgeon says, when you think about man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. They go together. We as Christians can take great pleasure and comfort in that. Well, the final sentence is given here in our Luke passage and it is very sobering. Jesus makes a statement. It's hard to take. Of course, Jesus says, you know, hey, I don't know where you're from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our street. That's right, they did. They were around, He was around them. And He will say, I tell you, I don't know where you are from. Depart from Me, all you evildoers. They were left as evildoers. He says, depart. This is final. He says, please leave. I remember R.C. Sproul. I caught him at a conference. I do believe it was at Desiring God, a John Piper conference. Sproul closed out the whole conference on, on, on one, one evening. Last speaker that evening. He was doing the Matthew passage that we read earlier is basically the same thing. And he said, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship. You know, did he know their name? Well, of course, he knows everybody. But I don't have a relationship with you. Please leave. You could hear a pin drop for felt like minutes it was dead silent not that he left people reeling in there but he even said this and I believe in security of the believer I believe that if you're truly saved you're saved for eternity we teach that wholeheartedly but just in case there are people who think they're in and they're really not and they're basing it upon some kind of effort that they've done on their own and not through Christ, that message needs to be heard because He's saying that I don't know you. Get out. The door's shut. Isn't that rather humbling? Sobering. And Sproul said, God had the very right to even say that to me. He has the right to say that. And he can say, what? Was Sproul doubting his salvation at that time? Well, if you know R.C. Sproul, you would say, no, he taught eternal security. 
But he was getting down to the point that just because you think because you are religious, that doesn't mean that you're saved. So it struck everybody as they thought about that. Depart from it. Can you imagine hearing those words? That'd be the worst words that you would ever hear. Ever. Depart from me. Get out. I don't know you. Please leave. Jesus is saying that right here. Depart. I don't know where you're from. Get out of here, you evildoers. You know, there's kind of a basis on that uh, in Psalm chapter 6, verse 8. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. So there is the one who's not a believer versus the one who is a believer that's found in Psalm 6. Just not not just knowing about him is that enough? It is what knowing him, knowing him. Let's uh, finish this out. Let's take verse twenty-eight through thirty. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. Can you imagine that they know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are there? That's who they thought they were from. They were from that generation. I mean, that group of people that extend out from Abraham and all of the seed from there just because they were Jews. And he says, you're going to see that they're saved. But you're shut out. It's not just because you came from them, but you are to be believers like they were to trust in Him. Many are going to be surprised. You know, the stakes are high. The stakes are irreversible. So that's why we would be careful to examine our own hearts to make sure that we're inside that narrow door before it's eternally closed. Matthew 13, verse 42 Son of Man, verse 41, send these angels, they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks, those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth, yes, as the Son in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So the ones that are believers, they take and rejoice in this. But if this would be scaring you and bothering you, wondering, I'm wondering if I'm really the. That's a good time to examine yourself. But if you know who you are in Christ, praise the Lord, right? You know who you are, right? Or you're wondering who you are. He says, What? The furnace of fire. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what Jesus says again here in verse 28. There'll be weeping and gnashing of of teeth. You know, it's like a... Think of it like an eternal root canal without anesthesia. Just constantly, nothing but pain. Assumed that... They assumed that they would be in the kingdom of God. They just assumed that. You know, 
Hell is not for the worst of the worst, you know, the, the Hitlers of the world and those kind of people. These men were religious Jews who read the Bible. People heard the Scriptures. These were people who were always in synagogue. Anytime the doors were open, they were there. They assume. They assume. It's not the worst of the worst. A lot of these people are very innocent people. They think they deserve heaven. But the thing is, they wouldn't submit to Jesus. That's the problem. There's really only two final categories. And and thank the Lord, we wind up on a positive note here, really. As negative as it seems, if you're a Christian, it says this, and they will come from east and west and from north and south. Now that's why the Jews hated him too. Because what he's saying is that there's going to be Gentiles and they're coming from all over the world and they're going to be in the kingdom of God and they're going to go through that narrow door right into it. While you people, most of you, this nation, are going to be outside. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and there are Gentiles in there. People from Nineveh. People from Syria. People from Iran. Iraq. Oh, dear. That's right. God is going to save people from the east, west, north, south. Everywhere. If they're Christians, we go, Hallelujah. Thank You, Lord, for bringing them in. As they come and enter into this nation, whether it be legal or illegal, if we run into them, we have a great opportunity to show that window that they have of what we've just been talking about this morning. That's what God uses. We don't have to go there anymore. Guess what? They're right here living amongst us. What an opportunity. And you might even be working with some. They will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. We're winding up on a positive note. Aren't you glad? If you're a Christian, you're, you're thinking, I can't wait till that day. In the meantime, we have something to do here though, don't we? Verse 30, And behold, some are last, who will be first? Some are first, who will be last? The closed door makes an absolute separation between those inside and those outside. And that day we'll be able to see who they really are and who they really aren't. Either you're in because you entered through the narrow door, which is Jesus Christ, or you're out because you trusted in your own goodness, your own thinking. Examine ourselves. The first crowd, I guess you could say many of whom the first crowd thought were actually last, wind up being first. The Jews of Jesus' day despised the pagan Gentiles They thought they were defiled. Jesus says that many Gentiles will be in the kingdom, and that's probably all of us right here, making that show even more true. Eating with the patriarchs and the prophets. Self-righteous Jews will be outside. Self-righteous Gentiles, which are even more, will be outside. That's what it comes down to. The pride, the self-righteousness. That's what has to be beaten. That's how we strive. 
to beat that sin down through the power of Jesus Christ. These verses are demanding careful attention because we who are in the church are in the same place as the Jews of Jesus' day if we haven't trusted Christ. Let's pray. Father, pray God, You are holy. And that's what this is all about. It's You and You alone are holy. We seek to continue to strive to be the kind of person that You have chosen us to be, to be like Christ, not like the world, to be separate from those thoughts. Jesus was very serious when He brought this forth. And Lord, I know I haven't even come close to the way that He presented it. And it's Your power that's going to touch people, Christians, who need to be shaped. All of us need to be shaped even more. Or people who think they're Christians and they're really not. That they would take heed and that we would give this kind of message when we present the Gospel or tell people who think that they are religious or that they think they're Christians because of some other reason in Scripture, we may have an opportunity to present this truth. Lord, may Your Word be powerful to us today. In the name of Your Son, Amen.